Hello, hello, and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Max Tillman. This program is produced by 2SER 107.3 FM in association with the UTS Business School. And each week, we take a look at the numbers that make up the news. We'd like to begin today by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. This week, our focus turns to the impact COVID-19 has had upon Indigenous businesses in Australia. As businesses across the country close up shop, adapt to working remotely, or in many cases simply cease to exist, the big questions are how things are going to look on the other side of COVID. For Indigenous-owned businesses, these concerns about the political, social and financial structures that will either aid or abet them in returning to business as normal are worth discussing at length. This week, we'll be speaking to stakeholders and business owners, trying to get a grip on what the economic relief for Indigenous businesses will be, how the sector looks and, hopefully, where Indigenous-owned businesses will be when this all blows over. Joining me today to discuss this is our panel – Robin Quiggan is the Associate Dean of Indigenous Leadership and Engagement at the University of Technology, Sydney, and a member of the UTS Business School. Laura Berry is the CEO of Supply Nation, a national hub that links Indigenous businesses with some of Australia's largest companies. And Stella Ducos is the Business Solutions Director for Federal Government Body Indigenous Business Australia. Thank you all for joining us. So, Laura, if you could just give a very brief explanation as to exactly what Supply Nation do. Sure. Supply Nation is a national organisation. We register and certify Indigenous-owned businesses and then we connect those businesses with the supply chains of Australia's largest corporate and government organisations. We currently have over 2,500 Indigenous businesses listed on our national directory, Indigenous Business Direct, and over 450 corporate and government members who are looking to integrate Indigenous businesses into their supply chain. Big news at the moment is the government's $123 million Indigenous relief package. It was announced earlier in the month by Minister for Indigenous Australians, Ken Wyatt. How many Indigenous businesses generally have been affected by COVID-19 over the last few months in very general terms? Look, I don't have a specific number, but I would say in, um, I would say almost all of the businesses that we have listed on our national database have been affected in some way or another. We've started to uh, ask these businesses to fill out a survey to give us some more um, insights into exactly what that looks like. Um, and we've got about 50 or 60 so far, but we've got over 2,000 businesses on our directory. So Um, You know, given that this is affecting the entire Australian community, the Indigenous business sector would be affected very broadly as well. And uh, just generally from the surveys that you've already gathered, what's the picture that that's being created? Well, obviously, um, depending on the sector, it does it does change um, slightly, you know, for those businesses that are in the travel or the tourism sector, they've been hit particularly hard and fast. And we've certainly got a travel business, for example, that, you know, has literally had to wind things back overnight. Um, for other businesses, uh, the, the main key theme that's coming through is cash flow. So firstly, cash flow and making sure that they have enough cash to keep their business operating. And secondly, um, trying to make sense of the number of stimulus packages that have been announced by the government and what they actually mean for their business in practical terms would be two of the key um, themes that I'm seeing coming through. And Stella, 
Um, now, data from the ABS shows that 780,000 people had lost their jobs by April 4th across the country. So it's an enormous strain on absolutely everyone. And one of the main factors that Laura brought up, one of the serious concerns for Indigenous-owned businesses at the moment, and every business across the country, is cash flow. Um, now, what does the average Indigenous-owned business in Australia look like and are they more susceptible to slumps like the one that we're seeing now? Um, yeah, I absolutely think that Indigenous businesses across Australia and average businesses are certainly um, more affected by these types of slumps as well. Um, and there are a range of businesses across the Indigenous business sector and there are many that are just small to medium size, so um, very much may only have you know five um, to 20 to 25 employees as well. Um, there are many traders and small um, registered companies. Um, the difference for Indigenous business, I think, in managing um, issues with cash flow and, and impacts that this pandemic has had is that um, a lot of Indigenous businesses uh, don't have a lot of equity in their business and cash in their business as well. So um, very much um, forecasting is done on a very regular basis and, and I think that preparing for such a pandemic after impacts of the bushfires um, inside in some locations um, really put strain on small businesses. Um, the Indigenous business sector is really just getting traction and starting to grow over the last five years and particularly with um, the release of the Indigenous procurement policy by the federal government. And so for many Indigenous businesses, it's still early stages. Um, understanding how to operate contracts and on-operate in their markets is still very new. So being hit by such a complex situation in the economy um, really puts a lot of pressure on small businesses. Mm. And as you've just mentioned, for many Indigenous businesses, they don't have that capital to support them if things go wrong or they don't have enough to uh, essentially sandbag their business over the next few months until things return to normal. And that's yeah. a really interesting thing that I'd like to maybe ask a little bit more about. Are most Indigenous businesses at the moment first or second generation businesses or are there many businesses across Australia where they have been in the family for generations? I think, um, in my estimation, and I think, you know, with IBA's customer base as well, many of the businesses are first and second generation. Um, we have some amazing um, businesses that have been established that have that have seen two and three generations operating them. But primarily, um, over the last four years, we've seen a significant growth in the sector and we are looking at you know, first-generation entrepreneurs as well. Uh, we have a, a focus on early-stage businesses and businesses in start-up. And so it's very much a learning journey and understanding how to manage uh, capital within your business and cash within your business is part of that as well. So it's, um, it is a very new sector, I would say, you know, very much so. Robin, there's a convergence at a time like this between economics, business and culture, particularly when it comes to Indigenous businesses. So how intrinsic is the relationship between culture and business? The relationship between culture um, and identity is strong for all Indigenous people. So we bring that to the way that we do business. Individual businesses are often really... Um, built around cultural practices, um, either in the nature of the actual business itself or in the business practices. And so I'm thinking about some of the businesses like um, cultural tours, 
um, the, the cultural tours of cities of Sydney Harbour, uh, businesses like dance companies, musicians, catering businesses, all of those, uh, all those kinds of businesses are absolutely built around our cultural practices and, and our identity. So it might be in that, um, it might be simply in the people who are running the business because we feel so strongly about identity and culture, or it may be um, a really big part of the actual business operations or the substance of the business itself. One of the things that is really, that we notice that's different about the way Indigenous business owners work um, compared to others is that we're very much a relationship-based culture. You know, we like to form relationships and develop relationships and work out, um, you know, whether we, you know, want to work with a, with an organisation or an individual based on values and based on um, the interactions that we've had. That obviously is severely impacted during COVID-19 when no one is doing anything face-to-face. So that's very difficult, I think, um, in t- certainly in terms of how some of our business owners um, use culture very strongly through their business, whether it's through, you know, um, Indigenous cultural tourism um, or Indigenous-specific cultural products, you know, they are also going to be impacted through this process where we have less people travelling, less people spending money on, you know, um, on consumables, for example, um, and businesses that are using, um, you know, art or culture through their businesses, I think, will be feeling this um, quite acutely. Um, You know, for some of our other businesses, though, you know, those that are in the construction sector, for example, which is still operating and there is still infrastructure and construction work going on, or those businesses that are actually able to pivot their business to provide uh, PPE products, for example, or hand sanitizer to organisations, you know, those businesses are incredibly busy. And so there's, you know, there's two sides to this, I think. For us, the important aspect really is making sure that as many businesses as we have can come through this crisis and this pandemic so that they are ready to operate at the other end of it when business and the economy does pick up again. And so making sure that we're supporting businesses through the process is critical and also really making sure that we're tapping into the expertise, um, the support mechanisms that are available through many of our corporate members to ensure that they are looking after the businesses in their own supply chain through this as well is, is really critical. So, Stella, Indigenous businesses will be eligible for a $100,000 loan-slash-grant package and specialist advice through Indigenous Business Australia, and this is all thanks to a $50 million funding injection from the federal government. So it's very encouraging news for many business owners who are feeling the pinch at the moment. So I think what we've learned is that um, there are a lot of uh, solid, strong operating businesses um, in the construction um, and civil mining sectors that are managing quite well. Um, for the most part, I think most corporate um, uh, primary um, contractors are trying to make sure that their contracts are progressing so they're keeping businesses operating and getting through. But I think there's, you know, a medium to larger sized business that are, are managing and that are sustaining. Um, they've had the opportunity to build a capital within their business to manage um, for a short period, I think, um, in such a in such a trying um, time, I think the long term um, might be a little bit more testing for those. But I think for smaller businesses, and we see it specifically in some industries and sectors, um, they've seen their whole income um, pretty much will be suspended and stopped. And so the Indigenous tourism 
um, sector uh, was already impacted, I think, to a degree by um, some of the bushfires and you know, over the Christmas period, but the pandemic has quite literally, as it has with all of Australia, um, brought it to a halt. Um, it's a complex time for Indigenous tourism because in some locations across Australia, it's actually coming into peak season. So if you were heading out to Uluru or if you're heading out north, they're coming out of the wet season. Um, so this would be peak season as well. We've seen professional services and the arts centre virtually stop as well. Uh, but during this time, we've seen some really innovative um, and ingenious approaches to um, businesses continuing to operate. We've seen um, businesses uh, switch to having a virtual footprint. Um, we're seeing businesses explore how they can sell their products online and how they can establish um, e-commerce systems, how they can adapt their products according to the way the market is buying. And it's only sort of been a short term now, but people's trends and I think buying, people's buying patterns online have certainly changed just in the last five to six weeks. So I think um, Indigenous businesses and Indigenous entrepreneurs are, are very um, adaptable, I think, and innovative. Um, it has had a high impact um, and the $50 million package will absolutely come comes at um, the right time and will provide some opportunity for businesses to not close their doors, to try and be a little bit more creative in the way they trade through, but also for those that, you know, that are employing and, you know, majority of Indigenous businesses do employ Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. It helps with sustainable employment as well. So it's really important, um, this package at this point now. And Stella, could you give us a brief insight into how the funding came about and what Indigenous Business Australia's roadmap is for spending it? So, um... Early on, uh, we were having a look at our own portfolios um, and just trying to understand and, I guess, uh, develop strategies for our existing loan portfolio and understanding the impacts um, in our businesses. Uh, we worked very closely with the um, NIAA, which is the National Indigenous Australians Agency. Uh, it sits under the Honourable um, Minister Ken Wyatt. Um, and so we got together very on, early on in the piece um, and and discuss the impact um, as we saw it across the new business sector but also across the existing loan portfolio. We've got a lot of information and data that sits within our organisation um, and some good partnerships and um, good relationships, so for example, with Supply Nation and, and ORIC, which is the Office, Office of Registrar for Aboriginal Corporations, who also provided information through to NIAA to help them to get a bigger picture of, of how the sector uh, was being impacted. Well, I think that the you know the fifty million dollar fund that IBA will be distributing out to businesses it differs in the fact that um, that particular fund um, has two components to it. So where we have banks and other financial institutions providing lending, or we have governments providing other stimulus um, measures with cash, etc., this measure through the IBA um, system will give businesses the opportunity to take up to a hundred thousand dollars in two parts, so half of that being a loan, a grant, which does not have to be repaid, and the other half um, as as a loan with no repayments for up to 12 months, I think it is. So, you know, that's going to hopefully provide some direct cash relief to businesses who need it without the burden of having that debt then, that whole debt hanging over their heads. Um, We are having continual conversations with IBA, with government, with some of our financial institutions about what else we can be looking at that is specific for Indigenous businesses to make sure that they don't 
fall through the cracks of this process um, and that they really understand what they're eligible for, you know, on the broader stimulus um, packages that have been released and how they tap into specific Indigenous products that are available, whether it's through some of our financial institutions or through the government through IBA. How will business owners access the funding, first of all, because that has been a question that has prevailed across all of the major stimulus packages at the moment. How will I remove my super? How will I access rent relief? And do you think the program will be a success in offering a safety net over the next few months? We absolutely um, believe it will be a success. And there are a a few different levels to help Indigenous businesses um, understand the impact um, on their own business at this point in time, but also to sort of get an understanding of what other stimulus uh, resources are out there that they might be able um, to access. Um, and so for us, with IBA, um, as it stands now, we have um, through our website, you can express interest and we have um, virtually an immediate response. So within three working days, um, we'll get back to um, the inquirer and we'll help them ascertain um, them under the business. Uh, we Our package uh, consists of up to $100,000 uh, for working capital and to support fixed costs. Um, and we have a component of that um, that loan that is a grant. And so uh, our customers can access up to 50% of that as a grant. Uh, as part of our package, we will have uh, no repayments for the first uh, 12 months and loan terms up to three years. We really understand that you know, the next, next six to 12 months will be hard for businesses to determine what you know, their future strategy might be. The market, the economy will change. Um, we're still in self, you know, or in isolation. Um, you know, now we will be for the next few months. So it'll be hard for businesses to really get a view of what their market will look like in 12 months' time. So we really want to provide some relief on that impact and stress as well. And we're also working on preferential interest rates so that you know, um, you know, if it, as interest capitalises, there's less um, accrued, accrued debt placed on the business in that aspect as well. Um, as part of our package, we are also offering um, to provide access to some um, business support through the means of doing um, an impact analysis um, on the business. So we have um, some partners that are working with us that will work with our customers to actually understand how big the impact is on their business at, yeah, at that point in time and help them have a look at their um, their income, uh, their uh, financial position, their workforce, uh, they'll also provide information about the other resources and stimulus packages that are on offer from the state um, and territory government. Now, just for a brief moment, we're quickly going to jump over to Kerry Colbunk. She's the owner of a 100% Indigenous-owned business in South Australia that makes skincare products from native plants. So, Kerry, could you quickly give us some background on your business? Yeah, so we we um, make a whole range of skincare products from our native plants. Basically, they're based on our bush medicines that our old people used and still use today. And, you know, a lot of that knowledge has been passed down in our family line. So we were wanting to um, really get our products out there after we had a incredible feedback from customers for about eight years in exchange for supplying products. Um, they gave us some great feedback yeah, to validate our products. So last year we just thought, well, we better get this get serious now and so we we thought well the best way to do that is to uh, as far as credibility is concerned um, in terms of sales is to have a website so 
you know, we didn't we didn't go to the extent of um, investing significantly in terms of a website. We just uh, got a friend to set up a Wix website, and only cost us about two hundred and eighty four dollars, which um, you know I'm still kind of uh, having some fun with. But we we've been in the marketplace since um, November, and we've also um, my husband set up. Um, a couple of um, platforms as well to uh, analyse what's going on with our website. And, um, well, what we've um, identified is that, um, you know, the, there's a significant amount of web traffic that's coming through to inform um, how we're progressing with our business online. Although IT is not my favourite subject, it has been very helpful in terms of getting our products out there, uh, growing our brand and also giving us visibility in the marketplace. So we found that extremely, extremely helpful as an Indigenous business uh, and very small business at this point in time. I can imagine that it can be very daunting to kind of suddenly be thrust into this world where, as you've just mentioned, you are kind of having to rely on things like uh, website analytics to understand how your market's changing and who to best target because it's very different to that traditional foot traffic system where you know your business is doing well if people are coming into the shop. Is that an experience you've had where you've seen the way that you're able to actually evolve your business entirely on your own and it's quite empowering? It certainly is, you know, and I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because I've just been putting together a um, a new business plan. And when we got, when we downloaded a lot of that data, we were quite fascinated to see how, um, as far as an online platform is concerned, how far our business brand has grown in just three and a half months. And to be able to use that information is not it's not so scary. It is a, a very empowering process for us, particularly because it's really helped us to understand how we should be focusing our, our marketing, um, where we should be focusing it, who are the people that are making inquiries, who, what's the type of customer that's buying. You know, prior to that, for eight years, we we've just it's just been based on word of mouth, but um, in embracing and including technology now in in this has actually really is really helping to to finesse our um, business operations um, so you know we're able to to track information around how many times our uh, visitors are returning whether there are new visitors coming in and Kerry what are your predictions for the next few weeks and months and do you also think that in many ways for many businesses covid19 could be somewhat of a blessing in disguise for for someone like us um, there's an opportunity to really capitalise on this. And, and I think for Indigenous businesses, it's, um, uh, it's about really being very clear in terms of what are those um, uh, measures that are there to support Indigenous businesses and how you can take advantage of that uh, to keep yourself afloat during this very difficult time. But also um, I think there are also some opportunities in terms of now um, going back to the drawing board and really trying to understand your business arrangements and, in particular, where is it that you're likely to pivot when we get the other side of the hump or the curve or whatever we're, we're referring to it. Um, my, my only concern, though, is that with this $50 million, it's got to come out much more quicker. The flow-on effect to Indigenous businesses is absolutely critical 
And it's important that, um, you know, Indigenous Business Australia and their staff in there who are just working so hard get it moving because, as we know, cash flow to small businesses and particularly our mob and Indigenous businesses is very critical. Now, Robin, one of the things that does keep coming up and that you've just raised yourself is there are very unique characteristics to the Indigenous business sector. What are some of those key characteristics and how do you think they'll fare over the next few months? I think we often bring a sense of social or community purpose as well as um, commercial our commercial um, uh, purpose as well to a business. And um, we might express those social or community purposes through the way that we might subcontract to other Indigenous people or we might employ other Indigenous people or, as I say, you know, bring those, those cultural values of reciprocity um, and, um, and sharing to and looking after people, looking after our communities and looking after um, our families to those to those um, businesses, I think that always that sense of social purpose and community purpose will serve a business well, particularly in times of um, economic and social social stress. So I think that it'll be a, um, an asset, absolutely an asset in these difficult times. Do you hope in the future, in the next few months, that the programs currently on offer for Indigenous business owners are going to be a permanent fixture? If they if they're done well, I think that would be great. I think um, that this it, it could be a really good legacy um, from from this crisis. That uh, you know perhaps a one stop shop for Indigenous business people is established, uh, or at least a database of good uh, good um, service providers to give advice to people. I think that's probably a good piece of infrastructure that might uh, come out of these difficult times. Now, I asked this question to Kerry earlier in the podcast, but now I'll open the floor to the rest of the panel. As one last question before we wrap up the show, how do you think Indigenous businesses are going to move forward in the post-COVID world? And as Kerry has kind of described with her personal story, do you think there's a really great opportunity for growth once things settle down? Look, I think um, that is absolutely correct. We have, we know Indigenous people and Indigenous business owners are incredibly resilient already. Uh, I think what we will see coming out of the end of this pandemic is businesses with a, a greater level of confidence around their ability to manage um, really tough situations, manage crisis situations, um, and feel like their business is probably in a better position um, to weather future storms should they arise. I think you're right. We, we Hopefully none of us will ever see a situation like this again in our lifetime. Um, but what we know is, uh, you know, th- that these sorts of situations do set people up to have um, a greater understanding and resilience for um, coping with future scenarios when they do pop up. So I think we're going to see a very strong sector coming out of this. I am really very, very pleased to hear from both our government and our corporate members um, their ongoing commitment to making sure that they're protecting the businesses in their supply chain already, but also looking for new opportunities for other businesses to make sure that we're trying to all get through this this together. Um, and I think that that's going to stand the whole sector in good stead um, for when we do come out of it and be in a position to really ramp up uh, spend and engagement um, when the economy picks up overall. 
there's a lot of uncertainty. We don't really know exactly what shape that will take locally, domestically and internationally. I think there will be people who will be able to take advantage and there already are people who've um, been able to, Indigenous businesses who've turned their hand to producing um, PPE, to, to producing masks and people who've been able to turn their hand to producing hand sanitizer. Um, and being able to take advantage of this immediate crisis. And there will be others who will be able to think about the big picture to either hang on through these difficult times, people who are already in business who are able to, to hang on through the difficult times, and others who will see an opportunity as the economy begins to pick up to, um, to move into uh, to businesses that they might um, be inspired to move into. Well, if there's one thing we've learnt from covering COVID-19 over the last few episodes of Think Business Futures, it's that things may never really be the same afterwards. But that may not be all doom and gloom. Indigenous businesses like Kerry's and industry stakeholders like Supply Nation see a particularly bright light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to the business side of life after COVID. And on that note, we'll end today's show. Thank you to our guests, Laura Berry from Supply Nation, Robin Quiggan from the University of Technology, Sydney, and Stella Dukos from Indigenous Business Australia. Think Business Futures is produced with the assistance of the UTS Business School. And as always, don't forget to listen in on the Community Radio Network on 2SER 107.3 FM if you're in Sydney or on your favourite podcasting app. I've been your host, Max Tillman. Look forward to seeing you again next week.